Welcome to the Beautiful and True Project podcast. This is a place where we talk about beauty and truth, the things that are most important to us, the things that ground us, and the things that uplift us. My guests are not celebrities. They are, in many ways, leading kind of ordinary lives, but they pay extraordinary attention to the world around them, and that makes the difference. I want to start this episode with a quote. (laughs) I'm actually taken back to being in late middle school days, well, maybe junior high, learning how to write an essay. Always start with a quote, right? (laughs) I guess old habits die hard. This is a quote from the novel My Argument with the Gestapo by Thomas Merton. Now, I have to tell you, it's a confession, I have not read this book. I think I'm going to, based on this quote, and I know a little bit about Thomas Merton's work, and it's extraordinary. But I came across this quote in the latest edition of Vanity Fair. It's a magazine that I have been reading for a while. It's interesting because so much of it I... I don't really care about. I'm I'm not someone who does celebrity. Not often. I don't get, it's not something I get excited about. Uh, there's a lot about fashion in here that I don't particularly have an interest in. There are a lot of ads for things I cannot currently afford and maybe never will. But the writing is spectacular. And the journalists, it's real journalism. They go in deep on so many different things, from politics to true crime to art. It's really extraordinary. Anyway, the point is that I'm reading this magazine from this month, and there's a wonderful article on the actress Viola Davis. Viola Davis is on the cover. For, like many magazines, for much of its publication, Vanity Fair has not had a lot of people of color on their cover. A woman of color, a black woman, photographed by a photographer of color. It's exciting. This episode is going to be just me. Every few, every few episodes, I want to check in. I want to talk a little bit about why I'm doing this project, why I think it's important, what I'm experiencing as part of it. I almost didn't because I, f- I fundamentally believe that this project is not about me, that I am a, kind of a conduit for it. This is not something I intended to ever do. It's not, it's not something I set out to do. So I feel a little odd doing episodes that are just about me when I'd really, I really love talking to all kinds of different people about 
about their experiences of the beautiful and true in our world. These first 10 guests have been extraordinary and so different. If you've been listening, you know how different they all are. You know, we've had, we've had high school teachers and we've had HR specialists and we've had C-suite executives. We've heard stories that have been impossibly hard, that will break your heart. And we've heard stories of triumph. There's been a lot of laughter and a little tears. And I've loved every second of it. Because what's bearing out for me is what I always suspected was true, that all of us are united by what is beautiful and true for us. Everyone I've talked to so far, almost everyone, almost without fail, brings up three things. They bring up nature, they bring up their families or loved ones, and they bring up some kind of spiritual connection, some kind of connection to the sacred. And looking back, that shouldn't surprise me, and maybe it doesn't, but it's so consistent. When we're talking about the sacred, when we're talking about the divine, I don't necessarily mean a god. I, I don't know exactly what I mean, and I don't know that everyone that, that brings up sacredness has a specific definition of what that is. I mean, you want to talk about a personal relationship to the sacred. One thing you'll note about the way I do my episodes is that these are extra rambly. I have notes about what I want to talk about, and then something takes over. I talked about wanting to start with a quote, and I meant to, and then I derailed myself. <laughs> I suppose it's part of what is beautiful and true about the way that I think about these things. It's not linear. It can't be linear. And so the way I talk about it can't be linear. So I talk around it and hope by talking around it that I get something like an image of it. So I'm going to go back to this quote now. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the last couple of weeks. Here's the quote, again, from Thomas Merton's novel, My Argument with the Gestapo, quoted in an article in Vanity Fair by Viola Davis. Here's the quote. If you want to identify me, ask me not where I live, or what I like to eat, or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I am living for in detail. Ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. I'm going to say part of this again. If you want to identify me, ask me what I am living for in detail. That's what I'm doing in these interviews. That's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm trying to get at. What is it that people live for? The things that we live for 
are so deeply personal and they're so different from one person to another. If we think about what we're living for as being the things that are beautiful and true for us, then the things that I live for that are beautiful and true for me are not the same things that are beautiful and true for other people. Yes, there are, there seem to be common connections, certainly among the very small sample of guests I've had so far. Like I said, family, nature, and the sacred. But they all manifest, the details that the guests have talked about have been very different. Their lives are quite different. Their experiences have been quite different. We had David Rice talking about how he grew up in a household full of love and laughter. And we had Samar Hassan talking about his parents who would not accept that he was gay and who treated him quite cruelly. The differences are what are what make us all so special. Differences are what make us interesting. And the similarities bind us together. And here's what I want to say about that. <laughs> this is something that I, that I was learning. I learned it. I actually learned it in the middle of the conversation with Elizabeth Schwann Rosenwald. And I'd been... <sighs> I'd been noodling around with it in my heart a little bit and and not even my mind it wasn't that conscious but but I knew that there was there was something that I was trying to get at about about exactly how beautiful and true could save the world it's something I actually do believe and I'll tell you why in in this and then another story so as we're sitting there talking she's talking about this ornament of Santa kneeling before baby Jesus. And she's talking about how it's beautiful and true for her and quite sacred. And if I'm being really honest, and I kind of wish we'd brought this up, but I, I, I got just a tiny bit cowardly there and I didn't. That ornament is actually rather offensive to me because it represents to me the commercialization of the holy. It represents, it represents gold crosses worn on chains around the necks of people who practice hateful things. It represents a made in China stamp, where it, was probably, it may very well have been produced by people working in horrible conditions by a government that has been known for persecuting Christians. If, if you come from a Christian background, you may be familiar with the story in the Gospel of Jesus chasing out the moneylenders from in front of the temple. And this is the kind of thing I think about when I look at an ornament like that. And I don't mind Christmas. I don't mind presents and Santa and... But it's, it's, it's the, really the mixing of the commercialization and the holy. And I'm not even that good of a Christian in so many ways. But there's something about this that I find profoundly offensive. So here is Elizabeth talking about how this is so beautiful and so sacred to her. And it clearly is. And I, I, as she's telling the story, I can see it on her face and in her body and in the way she's breathing. And it is beautiful and true for her. And simultaneously, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. 
So as I'm having this reaction, and I really, I do wish that I could have had this, I could have had the courage to follow through on it because then we could have had this discussion in real time, she and I, and then you could have heard it in real time, but I needed a minute to sit with it and that's okay. So here's my realization that because I could see that it was beautiful and true for her and I could see why the rancor was taken out of my my sense of no that's not beautiful and true i i still don't for me it's not it may never be but i wasn't angry of about it i wasn't contemptuous i certainly didn't despise it all of the things that might have made that really combative disappeared for me And that's because I could see the beautiful and true in that shining through for her. This is perhaps the heart of why I want to be looking for these things, why I want to be understanding these things. I've always been somebody who wants to put myself in other people's shoes. I have been acting in plays since I was 10. I've been reading literature that sucks me in since I was basically three. (laughs) I came very close to going to grad school for psychology. I'm really glad I didn't, but I came very close. And I think that drive has been so that if we really understand each other and understand what the other person is living for in detail, it makes it so hard to hate. Brene Brown says something about that, doesn't she? I think she quotes this a lot. It may be a quote from her. It's hard to hate from close up. Lean in. I'm probably getting that wrong, but it's something like that. It's hard to hate from close up. Lean in. And I think that's what beautiful and true gives us. If we can, if we can talk about it with each other, if we can help each other understand what is beautiful and true for ourselves, And if we can live into it, if they can see it in our lives, we become harder for each other to hate. So if all of us are doing that, if all of us are living into that, and all of us become that much harder to hate, it gives me hope. It gives me hope for a world that sometimes feels like it sucks. Oh, my youngest cat just curled into my lap. She's just a little over one year old. And for months after I got her, she wouldn't let anybody but me touch her. And if you looked at her directly, she ran away. And just now, she crawled right into my lap. If you listen to Last week's episode, you you heard me talk about how one of the things that is beautiful and true for me is profound affection expressed physically. So this little one crawling in my lap, right as I'm talking about this, means a lot to me. If you're lucky, you'll get to hear her little squeak, because it's adorable. So the last couple of weeks, I am at heart an introvert. 
this may not surprise those of you who have been listening, and certainly not those of you who know me. And in the first month or so of the pandemic, I watched my extrovert friends, bless them, they fall apart. They were hurting so badly. The missing of people and the the missing of the energy that they get from being around other people, it was, it was literally like they just ached all over all the time. That's what I saw anyway. And I think what happened, I've talked to a couple people about this, and I think this is true, at least for many of them. Many of the extroverts hurt and they hurt and they hurt, and then they kind of figured out how to deal with it. They made their own kinds of pieces. They figured out coping mechanisms. They learned how to deal because they had to. And I can't speak for all the introverts, but for me, (laughs) the real hardship of the pandemic, of not being able to see people, of not being able to go places, of not being able to sit in restaurants and go to movies and gather in groups that hit me like a week and a half ago. So the last week and a half has been me kind of wrangling with a slightly existential loneliness. I miss my people and maybe you do too. So why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because Something beautiful and true happened for me the other day. I decided to start running again. I haven't run in a long time for several reasons. I am terrible at it. I've never been very good at it, but now I'm just downright terrible at it. Um, but the first couple of weeks of the Couch to 5K program is not is not too difficult, so I was doing okay. But one morning... Last week, I woke up and was just out of sorts, depressed. Out of sorts and depressed are not quite the same thing. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And yet I craved people and I couldn't figure out what it is. And I sat with myself for probably 45 minutes trying to untangle the emotional Pudding is what it, what it felt like. It felt like emotional pudding, but a really heavy pudding. Um, kind of in my spirit. And as I was sitting there trying to sort through that, finally a word bubbled to the surface and it was lonely. I was like, oh, okay. Once I identified the word, it, it eased up a little bit. And I was like, okay. I can either sit here and play games on my phone and listen and watch the Graham Norton show on YouTube, you know, clips of celebrities being silly. Or I can put on my running shoes and just do it. It's half an hour. I can do it. So I did. And I'm running and I'm crabby and I'm running and I'm lonely and I'm running and it's everything sucks and I hate the pandemic and I hate everyone and I hate myself And then somehow, for some reason, 
I connect reconnected with what is beautiful and true for me, which is affection expressed physically. I can't do that right now, but I kept passing people, walking their dogs, walking with their babies in strollers, other joggers, cyclists. And I'm passing them and I'm seeing all of them avert their eyes. And I realize that I'm averting my eyes as if eye contact could be contagious. As if we could contract COVID if our eyes happened to meet. Or if we were ashamed of not being able to to engage the way we used to. I, I don't know exactly what it is. And it wasn't happening at first. At first, people were m- making real effort to like look at each other in the eye and be like, yes, everything's okay. We're in this together. And now I think we're weary. And I think it's more of a struggle, perhaps, collectively. So anyway, I reconnected with what's beautiful and true for me. And I started really making eye contact with people and very cheerfully with both my voice and kind of my shoulders, kind of did a little shoulder shake and would say, good morning. And what I saw was kind of heartbreaking and also gorgeous, which is every person I managed to make eye contact with and then say good morning to their entire faces behind their masks lit up and they gasped just a little bit. And they said, oh, good morning, right back. As if nobody had ever said good morning to them before. As if it had been four years since somebody, a stranger had said good morning. And it must've been five or six people right in a row that had exactly the same reaction. It was a moment of small connection and small exchanged connection and small joy that that pulled me right out of it. I mean, I'm still a little bit in the funk because I'm we're all tired of this and it sucks and but that that pudding (laughs) that that thick pudding that was just sitting at the in the in the at the base of my spirit was gone. I don't know that it was because maybe it was just simply that connection that surprised people. I actually think it was more than that, though. It was definitely partially that. But I think it was also that me reconnecting with the beautiful and true for myself and letting that show in my voice and in my body, that was infectious. That was contagious. At least I hope so. Those are the kind of moments that I want to have as often as possible. I hope you get to have moments like that this week. I hope you get to have a moment where you connect with what is beautiful and true for you. And that you let it live in your voice and in your body. And that you allow others to see it. What is something beautiful that you saw this week or witnessed? What is something beautiful that you saw today? And it can be small. 
when we connect to the beautiful and true, it doesn't have to be, you know, a huge, huge statement of something ginormous. I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But most of the time, I think it's it's something relatively small. I mean, mine, affection, affection expressed physically is not, it's not rocket science. It's not, it's not inaccessible. Everybody can access that. Anybody who can feel affection can find some way to express it with their bodies. Even if it's a smile, even if it's your eyes lighting up. Right now, how many of you have experienced, people talk about, you can't see me smile behind my mask. Is that true? I'm sure you've encountered people in masks who have smiled at you. Can you see the way their eyes crinkle? Of course you can. Small things, little things. I think those are the things that save us. When I started this project, I really thought that I was going to possibly discover what is beautiful and true and see this the, the full picture. Ha 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 ha. That was really ridiculous of me at the time. But that's always what I want. I want to see the full picture. But the full picture, it's it it's it's like it's it's like it's a pointillist art piece where it's made up of tiny, tiny, tiny dots. Or I'll do you one better. Have you seen one of those those images of a faint, famous painting? I think there's, you know, the the head of Lincoln and the Mona Lisa, and they're they're not done by paint or by pencils. They're done using thousands and thousands of super tiny photographs. So if there is a big picture, it's made up of thousands and thousands of super tiny photographs that each one of us possesses, and those tiny photographs. <laughs> are not actually photographs, they're, they're pointillist art pieces with thousands of tiny dots that make up the photograph, that make up, that thousands and millions of photographs make up a big picture. It's not even ever going to be possible, I don't think, to see the whole picture. But I love the idea that we can try. And I love the idea that we can come together and show our, our tiny little piece of the picture. And that we get to see a little bit more of it because we have shared. All right. I'm utterly rambling now. It has been a long week with a lot of creativity and a lot of stress. And so you'll have to forgive the rambles, but just wanted to take a moment and check in. I do. I do wish always that something that you find something in the in in any of these episodes that inspires you to look for the beautiful and true in your own life because i truly do believe it will save us i'll talk to you again next sunday have a great week